Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this beautiful day, this weather that you have graciously given to us. We thank you for just the opportunity to gather together as citizens, church, and as citizens ultimately of your kingdom, as you've called us to do that. And so, Lord, we we praise you for that. We pray that you would be with the people in the room today. Depending on what's going on in their lives, Lord, we pray that, that you would just be with them, that you would provide them comfort, that your Holy Spirit would be a helper, would be a, a, a comforter to them. Lord, we also pray for churches around the Columbus area. We pray that they would be faithful in preaching the gospel this morning. And we pray for those that have, have showed up to church not knowing who you are would come to faith by your grace and by the power of your word and your gospel that they would place their faith in Christ, seeing that he is the only thing sufficient enough to save us from sin. Lord, be with us as we open up your word today. Help us to be attentive. Help us to learn. Help us to humble our hearts towards you as your word speaks to us. We love you, Lord. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So Acts chapter 11, verses 19 through 26. Short passage here. Uh, Like I said, we were originally going to look at Ruth chapter 1, so it's kind of a good little breakup, I guess. We finished Mark officially last week after, what, about a year and a half into it. We're going to work through Ruth for five weeks. That'll start next week. So if you want to hear more about Ruth, come back next week. Rob, Rob's already got that prepared for us. But a little bit about me real quick. So, so what I do here in, in the state of Ohio, one of my roles is I work with um, a church planting network called Sin Network. This is a Sin Network church. It's part of the Southern Baptist Convention. And uh, I work with church plants all throughout eastern Ohio. And so this is actually a, a, a sermon that I've, I've preached before to other churches and church plants um, in kind of the eastern Ohio region. Um, so it kind of brings a little bit of context of why I'm going to be talking about this specific passage. But I've kind of titled this, this as, as the city that started a movement. And we're specifically talking about the city of, of Antioch. But to kind of show you a little bit more of that, I grew up in a small town um, north of Columbus, about an hour called Bucyrus. Um, if anybody knows of Cyrus, we're famous for Bratwurst, right? We're the Bratwurst capital of the world. And uh, so, so I've been in Ohio most of my life, to be honest with you. And if I know one thing about the state of Ohio, it is this, that they love Ohio State football, right? Is that, is that fair to say? People that live in Ohio their whole life, they see it. People that have just moved here, they're like, man, these people are crazy. They're nuts about it. You know, some people even called Columbus, Ohio, the college football capital of the world. When you're traveling, sometimes you'll meet other fans from other places. You go to Florida or Arizona, and you'll give them a big OH, and they give you an IO back. Or sometimes you meet opposing fans, and they let you know how obnoxious you are as an Ohio State football fan. But they've had great success over many years, over 100 years of, of, of playing Ohio State football. In fact, this year will be the 100th year of, 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 of Ohio State football being in Ohio Stadium. They celebrate the 100th year of Ohio, Ohio State football and Ohio Stadium. But I will let you know that it did not start out that way when it comes to their success. 
1890 was the first season, and it was led by a coach named Alexander Lilly. No idea who he is. But over in those first 10 seasons, they had six different coaches. You know anything about sports, something that will really bring dysfunction to a team is when you change over leadership. We, today, are used to maybe one-loss seasons. They, it was more occasional for one-win seasons. That team up north, aka the University of Michigan, they started playing in 1897. The first, first game they ever played, they lost 34 to zero. Did even score a point. Well, the next 15 seasons, or 15 times they played, they lost 13 games, and the closest we could get to a win was two ties. It was two ties. But then it all changed. When, when a young man, Columbus's own, Chick Harley, showed up. Does anybody here know the name Chick Harley? Oh, this, this illustration is going to work perfect then. This is going to work really well. Chick Harley was 5'10", 158 pounds. He was a running back. He would run the ball, he would score the touchdown, and after he would score it, he would kick the extra point. He was like the one-man show in town. At Ohio State, his freshman and sophomore years, the team went unbeaten. They didn't lose a game. Though, those two years, they, they uh, coincidentally did not play Michigan. His junior year, he went to fight in World War I in 1918 as a pilot in the military. And then in 1919, he came back and he got to face his foe, Michigan. And they won the game 13-3. The legendary coach at Michigan at the time, Fielding Yost, told Harley after the game, he said, you are one of the finest little machines I've ever seen. He was a good player. During his career at Ohio State, he won the first and second ever Big Ten uh, championships at Ohio State. Harley, Harley was also the first ever, uh, first, uh, first team All-American at, at the Ohio State University. Chick Harley changed the name of Ohio State football, and he started today what is really a worldwide movement of what Ohio State football is today. And it wasn't Woody Hayes, it wasn't Archie Griffin, it wasn't Paul Brown, it wasn't Jim Tressel, it wasn't all those greats. It was this man that nobody in the room even knew who he was that started this. And your question is, why do I share all of this to you? Especially if you're not a football fan, you're, you're lost. Yeah, I've lost you. I'm gonna bring you back in though. Because I think this does, it, it loosely relates to another movement that started nearly 2,000 years ago of evangelism, discipleship, and church planting. Let's go to Acts chapter 11, verses 19 through 20. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenist, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came, he saw the grace of God. He was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast, steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when they found him, 
he brought him to Antioch for a whole year. They met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. This is the word of the Lord. You guys are on it. All right, so our context is Antioch. If you know anything about Antioch, it was the third largest city in the Roman Empire at the time. Around 600,000 estimated lived there. It was nicknamed the Queen of the East and the base of the Roman military at the time. It's the southernmost part of what is now modern-day Turkey, and it was a world power, economic business center. You can almost compare it to today's New York City. Cosmopolitan area, mixing of lots of different cultures and people and backgrounds. Religiously, they were pluralistic, really into Greek mythology. Morally, it was very corrupt. This passage starts out and it says that they were scattered because of the persecution. This really takes us back to Acts chapter 7, the stoning of Stephen. You guys are familiar with that passage. Stephen preaching to, 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 to the masses, preaching Christ to the masses. What do they do? They, they stone him to death. That stoning brought scattering out of Jerusalem. That's where they were. They were, they were in Jerusalem at the time when this takes place. It brought scattering because people were scared. They were afraid. We're getting killed for our faith. So it brought scattering out of Jerusalem. I think this is a reminder to show us that persecution, though a terrible thing, Martyrdom, martyrdom can lead to multiplication. And I think this is what we see here. Because we see people, they're coming from, if you, if you look here in verse 19, they're, they're coming from Phoenicia, they're coming from Cyprus, and at Antioch. And up to this point, the disciples had only been sharing and speaking, sharing the gospel and speaking to the Jews. Why? Well, I think because they had a natural connection they had a natural connection with them. Some of them might have been even family. Um, I think some of them thought that maybe this was God's desire for them. That this was this 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 Jesus guy, he, he was for the Jews and the Jews only. But they didn't realize the importance of God's plan for the Gentiles. But in verse 20, something changes. Something changes in verse 20. We see a proclamation to the, to the Gentiles and the Greeks, those who were not of Jewish descent. You see the word Hellenist here. If you're reading your ESV, ESV uh, Bible, Hellenist might not be the best translation. Greek is probably a better translation. If you know what a Hellenist is, a Hellenist is a Greek-speaking Jew. Um, but this is probably a better translation. It would be just, just Greek instead of Hellenist here. So these, Hel- these, these Greeks, they're, 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 not, they're not Jewish. They're Gentiles. Gentiles, Greeks gets interchanged there. But there's proclamation that's taking place from these men from Cyprus and Cyrene to to non-Jewish people. And this is strategic. This is a strategic move by these men. Because these men, so if you look at where 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 they're at, they're coming from, from Africa, okay, and an island 100 miles off the coast of where they are. So these guys, they, I mean, they, they, they've really scattered, okay? And they're intentionally, they're intentionally crossing cultural barriers. And for the first time in the new church, we see something like this. And they had meaning and they had purpose. And here, here's the thing, here's the thing. They had, 
no budgets, and they had no programs to do it. They're literally just sharing the gospel with people. Just sharing the gospel with people. And I love this part here. We have no idea who they are. No clue. No clue who they are. They are nameless. They are nobodies. They are unsung heroes that started this movement of taking the gospel from the Jews to the Gentile. And I think there is so much we can learn from that today. No named people doing something absolutely incredible. And we won't even know about them until we get to glory with Christ. Something that was very important, though, with what these men were doing is in verse 21, we see that the hand of the Lord was with them. This is massive. The hand of the Lord was with them. In the Great Commission, Matthew 28, Jesus tells the disciples that he would be with them to the end of the age. He would be with them to the end of the age. And the good news is he's still with us today in doing that. But I think it's so important that we understand that this was not done on their power. This was done on God's power. What takes place here in Acts chapter 11 cannot happen by human uh, ability. It just can't. It cannot happen outside of what God can do. He is in control of what's taking place, and it is He and He alone that is drawing people to Himself out of the faithfulness of these men. We see that they were faithful. They were faithful, but God was even more faithful in their faithfulness. And Jesus is the unsung hero, or, or not the unsung hero, but he, he is the real hero of this story. Jesus is the, the, the real hero of the story because we have nameless people sharing the name that is above every name, Jesus. And I think this is a good time just to pause and just to think about the gospel message. Now, I've heard it said before that we cannot hear the gospel enough, whether it's for your hundredth time, your thousandth time, you cannot hear the gospel enough. We need to hear the gospel regularly. And we need to proclaim the gospel regularly. Well, what is the gospel? We have a great book back there in our library, if, if you want a longer version. But, but I really think it breaks down to four different parts. God, fall, redemption, and reconciliation. God created us. And, and he, he loved us. He cared for us. But we have sinned against Him. We've talked about this this morning already. We have sinned against God in our, in our prayer of confession. God's response to our sin was that we were separated from Him and that we needed to be reconciled. And so what does He do? He sends Jesus, fully man, fully God, in our place or to, to, to live a perfect life, to die a sacrificial death and to take upon the payment of sin, and the wrath of God that we deserve. And through that, it's only through Christ and Christ alone, faith and grace in Christ alone, that we can be reconciled back to God. And we see in this passage that many people are reconciled in God, or back to God. Because this is massive. I mean, it, it literally tells us here it, really, it tells us here at the end of verse 21, it says, A great multitude who believed, and they turned, from, or they turned to, to the Lord. They turned to the Lord. It was such big news that it gets all the way back to Jerusalem. This news goes all the, back, all the way back to Jerusalem and enters a man that I want to spend a little time talking about, Barnabas. 
he comes from Jerusalem to Antioch. Barnabas, when I when just studying this passage, I was just blown away uh, on just the, the magnitude of Barnabas. I just feel like he, he's somebody that's just not talked about very much. Maybe, maybe not. But he is a faithful man. We see in Acts chapter 4 that he sells a piece of land in Acts chapter 4. And what does he do with it? He gives the proceeds to the church. This guy's sold out. This guy, he's wealthy. He owns land. And he's sold out for the gospel. Barnabas in chapter 9, he helps bring Saul in. Here comes Paul, a Christian killer. After he had been, Jesus revealed himself to him. Saul goes to Barnabas. Barnabas brings this in, this, this, this guy that is killing Christians. Barnabas was also a perfect man for, for this role, that he was a Greek-speaking Jew. He was a Hellenist himself. He could communicate across cultures. He could relate to those people there. He was the right person, the right man for this job. I think it's important for us to see that those in Jerusalem were committed to this. Antioch is about 300 miles from Jerusalem walking. That would be equivalent to uh, us here in Westerville walking to Buffalo, New York, around 300 miles, give or take. Google tells me that it would be about 103 straight hours of walking to get to Buffalo. How many of us are committed to take the gospel to Buffalo by walking there? All right, think about that. Think about, puts things into context. But here's a beautiful thing. Here's a beautiful thing. When, when, when Barnabas gets there, he is overjoyed by his findings. He is overjoyed by what he is seeing there. Praise God for that. He is overjoyed by what is taking place. And he goes there to build on his faith, or to build on their faith. And he was a he was very gifted exhorter. He was an encourager. That's Some people have... have Kind of name Barnabas, the, the, the great encourager, the great ex- exhorter. And he goes to encourage them to hold on tight to the faith that they have believed in. And I was trying to think about a, a, a good illustration on what, 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 what are they going through? What are the people in Antioch going through? And the best thing I could come up with, this might be terrible. But the best thing I could, uh, just imagine with me, that we live here in Columbus, about 2.2 million people in the metro area. And it would almost be like, in a metro area of 2.2 million people, that Citizen Church, this, this, this body of believers, would be the only Christians in the entire city. Think about that. Think about if, you, if this room right here, we were the only Christians. I know that's not true, right? There's, there's, that's not true, but just think, we were the only Christians in a, in a city of 2.2 million people. How discouraging would it be at times when you left this room and went out throughout your week to be influenced by the world, this pursuit of wealth, to fit into culture so that you look like the culture, to fit in, to be influenced by the different things that, that, that we see on, on the streets and, and, and on TV and, and, and to, to allow that to come in and to infiltrate us. Not only that, but they're also dealing with persecution. That they could be killed for this belief. Think about that. That's what they're dealing with. And Barnabas goes, he shows up, and he says, hold tight. Hold tight to to this faith. And no, it's hard, but it's worth it. And he could give 
and accounts of, 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 of Jesus from, from the disciples and said, this is true. This message is true. And so if you are feeling discouraged this morning, I want you to go back to the gospel. Go back to the word of God and be encouraged to know that this Bible is true. It is not made up. This is an errant. This is sufficient. It is authoritative. And the Christian belief, the, the, the belief of the gospel is real. And it matters. And it matters a lot. And so this is an act of discipleship on Barnabas' part for accountability and encouragement to them. And in verse 23, in 24, we see Barnabas, or the writer, commending the life of Barnabas. Verse 23 says that, sorry, verse 24 says that he was a good man. Barnabas was a good man. But this, the, the next part's the most important. It says that Barnabas, not only was he a good man, but he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. This is, this is the key to Barnabas' life right? Good people don't have relationships with Jesus. Good people do not uh, have saving faith in Christ. It, are, it is people that are filled with the Holy Spirit because of God's grace upon their life. So important for that. And he was full of faith. This was a faithful man. And I think, and I pray, that we have more Barnabases in our churches that are good people, but not just good people, faithful, spirit-filled people. Faithful, encouraging, sound, theological people who are willing to pour into others by the power of God's Spirit. And once again, at the end of verse 24, we see that a great many people were added to the Lord that day. God is at work in a mighty way here. God is at work in a mighty way. Discipleship is happening and God is on the move. So what's Barnabas' move next? He sees this. He sees man, something big's happened here. So this, this is huge. This is huge. So what does he do? He goes to Tarsus. And he goes to find Paul. He goes to Tarsus to find Paul. So why does Barnabas go find Saul who will become Paul? I think a few things. Saul knew, or Barnabas knew of Paul's calling back in Acts chapter 9, verses 15 to 16. His calling was to the Gentiles. If you remember that, when, 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 when Jesus comes to Saul on the road to Damascus, he's got a plan for this. He's got a plan for what's about to take place here. And so Barnabas knew his call. He knew that Gentiles were being saved, and this was, this was it. This was Paul's move to get here. Not only that, but Saul, like Barnabas, he had the ability to communicate across cultures. He knew Greek, and he knew it very well. He was a very smart man. He was very educated, very wise. And he was the right person to come alongside of, of, uh, of Barnabas to help train these new disciples into um, uh, uh, faithful Christians, uh, church planters, pastors at that point in time. Not only that, but Saul was a Roman citizen. 
which allowed him to do things and to go places that regular Jews just couldn't. It was almost like a passport to travel the Roman Empire at that point in time. Um, and, and if you didn't have that, you did not have the, the freedom to do that such a thing. And lastly, I think, I think another big reason why Saul, uh, why, why Barnabas goes get Saul is because he knew the Old Testament incredibly well. And if you think about it at that time, there's, there's no new, the New Testament, it hasn't been written yet, right? It's not there. And so their scripture that they had was the Old Testament. And, and if we know one thing about Saul, he, he was a very gifted uh, person and, and learned under some great people um, in, in, inside the, 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 the Jewish religion at the point in time. I mean, he was a scholar and he was young and he knew, he knew his Bible incredibly well. And once again, we see Barnabas, he's, he's humbly, he's humbly sharing the load of leadership here, saying, well, I'm just going to take it all and do it by myself and, and, and get, all the, get all the glory for it. No, he was thinking kingdom-minded. He was thinking we need to involve other people into what's taking place here. And I love what takes place after, after that. So Saul, he comes, Barnabas, they bring him to Antioch, and they stay there a whole year. Look at verse, uh, kind of the middle of verse, verse 46. He says, they stay there a whole year, and they met with the church, and they taught a great many people. Discipleship is taking place. Leaders are being raised up and put into positions. And at the end of verse 26, I love this. I love this. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. The first time we see, we see that word take place in, in Acts, the book of Acts right here. It's in Antioch. They were called Christians. Just, just, just stay with me here. for Just the, the magnitude of what this means, okay? So they, they were not identified as Jew or Gentile anymore. They were not Jew or Gentile. They were, they were Christian. And this word comes from the Greek word Christos, because they didn't know who the Messiah was. They weren't Jewish. They, you know, they weren't super familiar with that. So they weren't Jews, but they were, they were Christos people. They were Christ people. They were Christians. And they got so large that they, that they, had, they had a new name for themselves for the first time in history. They got so big that they had a different name because they didn't blend into culture. Right? They stuck out. They were, they were different. So different that they had gotten a new name. And that was their identity. That was their identity. That they were Christ people. They were Christians. From this passage here in Acts chapter 11, this really becomes the launching pad for Saul, Paul, the majority of Acts after this is about Paul and his ministry to the Gentile world, as we see kind of from here on. And this is kind of the launch of this movement of, of his different missionary journeys throughout the uh, Greco-Roman world at that point in time. We see in Acts chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas, they're praying together, they're praying together, and Paul and Barnabas, they feel like the, the, God is calling Paul and Barnabas to leave, 
to leave Antioch and to be a church planting, gospel sharing, evangelistic, disciple making unit to take the gospel to large areas where the gospel had not been preached to the Gentile world. And that's what takes place here. And it is the beginning of something great. But that beginning of something great started with unknown people. We won't know who their names are until that day of glory. So what does that mean for us today? We're going to kind of go to three different points of application. First and foremost, God calls unimportant figures to do utmost important things. This goes back to these men from Cyprus and Cyrene started a movement. They did not need fame. They only wanted to spread the fame of Christ, the fame of the King in Jesus. And my question for us is, and myself, are we about making a name for ourselves or are we about making a name for Christ? With the role that I get to work in, I get to work with a lot of different pastors, a lot of different people all throughout the state of Ohio. And I'll say this, there are a lot of faithful Bible preaching, gospel proclaiming men out there that are doing the hard work and they're unknown they're unknown and you probably won't ever know them and they don't get a big wage they don't have big buildings to work with they don't have a big budget to be able to do things with they're not going to be on conference or speaking at any conferences or having any large platforms probably not going to write books probably not going to get a lot of recognition from the public eye but they are spirit-filled, faithful men doing the work. And I praise God for them. I praise God for them. Application point number two. This is God's work. We are just asked to be faithful. This is God's grace. We see over and over again that the Lord's hand is with them. The, The Lord's work is with them as they do this. Barnabas sees this, and, and because of this, we see, we see the sovereignty of God at work. And we see who is really doing the work of bringing people to him. Jesus promises us in, in Matthew chapter 16 that, that he will build his church. Right? He will build his church. We are just asked to be faithful to proclaim the word of God and to pr- proclaim the gospel. Christ will build his church. We are just called to be faithful and their faithfulness in this passage led to fruit. And God's work, God works through people's lives. And this is his means to mission as us as followers of Jesus. To proclaim Christ. And are we willing to do the same? Are we willing to be faithful to proclaim Christ? Knowing that it's, it's not us. It's not us that brings people to faith. It's Jesus. But we are asked in God's good design to be that conduit. To be a part of that. Last point is servant leadership is what Jesus calls us to. I think Jesus is, is the greatest example of servant leadership, right? He is the great example. But Barnabas is also another great example of this. We already looked at his life a little bit, but he was faithful. He was humble. He was spirit-led and filled. And are we willing to serve the body of Christ here at this church? Whatever it takes persons in, in a difficult situation. Or if you notice around here, we have a lot of babies. 
So step up, help, help out with, with meals, that kind of stuff. There's different things on Sunday mornings that you could be a part of that you could help out with. Some it might be take upon membership to become a member of this church. We, we take membership very seriously here and encourage that. If, if, if you haven't thought about it, to, to take that step of membership, to see, to find out how can I, I serve the body. But it's not only that, but it's also how are we making, making an impact in our community as well with our coworkers, our neighbors, those different things. We're called to, to, to lead in a servant-hearted fashion. I'll leave us with this final illustration. This guy's probably a little well-known in Chick Harley, but you'll, you'll, I think, understand. A guy named David Brainerd. Uh, David Brainerd, he was a young man growing up in the 18th century America. And uh, when he was young, he felt, I think about the age of 18, he felt the call to ministry. And uh, at the time, oddly enough, when people were called to ministry, they went to Yale College. And uh, we've come a long way since then. Um, but he goes to Yale, actually gets expelled. Gets expelled at Yale. He's devastated by the news. He eventually got licensed to preach through a, through a church. Um, and he felt like, David Brainerd felt like his calling at that point in time was to go to the Native American people, to take the gospel with them, and to start churches. And hostile environments to enter at that time. It was hostile environments. When it, within over a year, he had over 100 people were members at the church that he had started within the Native American community. God was moving in his, in his faithfulness. A young guy in his 20s still. A couple years later, he, he found himself very ill. And oddly enough, he, he ended up at the house of Jonathan Edwards. We'll talk about Edwards here a time or two. Um, and his daughter actually took care of him. Um, I think at one point they felt like his daughter, uh, Edward's daughter, was going to marry uh, Brainerd. But unfortunately, Brainerd died at the age of 29 of tuberculosis. Wasn't a cure for it, really. What we know about his life mostly comes from a, from a book called The Life and Diaries of David Brainerd. Uh, it's a, uh, a compilation of his writings throughout his life that was put together and, and edited by, by Jonathan Edwards. But this is what I want us to get from, from the life of, of Brainerd that I just briefly summed up. He was willing to humbly submit to God. And will we be willing to do the same to those who are not like us in our communities that have different worldviews than us? It's very convicting for me. Our opportunities abound here in our city and who can we be reaching for the gospel? Stepping out in faithfulness to trust that the Lord is faithful to us. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this opportunity to gather together as this church. Lord, I ask that you would just help us to be faithful men and women that you've called us to be. Help us to be no-named individuals that just desires to make a name of Jesus and proclaim Christ. Lord, we ask that you would just be with us as we go this week. Help us to be faithful. Help us to see and identify uh, just people that we could be um, salt and light to as we go about our week. 
be with these saints as they go. We love you, Lord, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.